Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro. Thank you, Darlene, for our guest today. Please welcome Anna Williamson, founder of Anna Williamson Architect, an award-winning firm focused on design-driven projects primarily in the residential market. At AWA, each project is client and site-specific with an emphasis on space, form, and natural light. AWA is committed to a sustainable practice and strives to create buildings that are beautiful, environmentally conservative, energy-efficient, and materially non-toxic. For more information, feel free to visit awarchitect.com. That's awarchitect.com. Hello, Anna. We're excited and honored to have you on the Modern Architect Show today. Thank you, Tom and Darlene. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, we're, we're really excited to, to, to hear from you as well. Anna, as we talked earlier, can you share with us some early inspiration or inspirations as far back as you can recall to, to tie in where you are now and you know where it may have all began? Yes. So I think I've always loved drawing. And as a little girl, I think there was no more exciting present than coloring pencils. And as far as I can recall, I was always drawing. One of my earliest childhood memories, too, was being fascinated by construction job sites. (laughs) Really? Yes. And uh, we lived in a big house that right next door, there was an empty lot and they started constructing a building. And I remember being fascinated and heading over there to check out what was going on because the materials of construction, there's something tactile, there's sand and there's gravel and there's water and then you mix it and then you make cement and it's like magic and alchemy it's that like happens. Magic. I love that. And, I, and then watching people, you know, start putting foundations and how things start going up and jumping off the second floor into the pile of sand. It was just fascinating to me You know, there was something really appealing about job sites. But also, I think I was very fortunate to have been exposed to the practice of architecture via my great uncle. His name was Vincenzo Nassi, and he immigrated to Colombia in 1929. He and my grandfather, his brother, Carlo, he went on to have a very prominent, rich, fulfilling practice, not just in Colombia, also in Venezuela. And he and his brother did a lot of big projects together. But his love was residential architecture. Mm. And he had his studio in as part of his house. And 
as a little girl, I used to visit and I used to be fascinated that he had the same color pencils I had and he <laughs> used them a lot. And he would, I would spend hours in his studio drawing on the floor, like when he was drawing in his uh, drafting board, he would explain to me the creative process. I couldn't really understand much other than you could draw it and then somehow it would become a building that somebody will inhabit. And it was fascinating to me to also learn because my mom used to point out buildings as we were driving around the city. That house was done by Tio Vicente. That building won an award by Tio Vicente. This is in the historic register because of he did the precedence, a weekend house. So kind of in, <laughs> was interested in, in, in what made... You know, was he famous because of the houses that he was doing? One thing I did notice was that he loved what he did. I didn't have many other role models. My dad went to work like many of the dads outside of the home and with a briefcase and that suit and yeah, came home like late at night. And that's just a more traditional role. Whereas my uncle... You know, worked out of his house and he could be in his slippers. He would be humming away and whistling. And then he would draw and then he'd pick up the drawings and then go off to the job sites. And he seemed to be revered everywhere he went. He had great relationships with engineers and builders. And there was a reverence. Great word. Yeah, reverence. there was a reverence, you know, and, and a respect but he also was a very kind and very knowledgeable, very passionate person. He was also a professor of architecture at the university and very well regarded. Of course, when somebody is in your family, you just he's just your uncle. You just yeah. don't know. It wasn't until many years later when I decided to go into architecture school that people kept coming to me to tell me what an incredible architect and what an incredible legacy he had left. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I would say that he, being exposed to, you know, that beginning of planting the seed that you could actually draw and do something and do something for a living that is a creative pursuit that is beyond just art because there's artistry in architecture, but there's also science and there's intuition and emotion and logic and everything combined, which is what I think fascinated me, that it's a very complete endeavor. It's not just numbers. You would Sometimes you would hear, oh, I wanted to be an architect, but I wasn't good at math. And that's such a shame yeah, sure because it's, architecture is not math. I mean, there, there is math in architecture, but there's the beauty and the harmony and the proportion and the joy that it brings and how we can... <laughs> You know, good architecture can move you. It, it should, sounds like music to you. It should moves. It, it is. I'm not musical. I appreciate good music. I unfortunately did not inherit a musical gene. My <laughs> great uncle has three children who very all very bright. None of them became architects, but two of them were musicians. And there is a correlation of, you know, there's a, the the tempo, the harmony. There's spatial, there's spacing between notes, and same thing happens with architecture. Yeah. Architecture can sing, I think. I it, like that. How yeah. about the acoustics, and how important are the acoustics in architecture for you, I since think, we're talking I think music? I, I think it's important, but more than acoustics, I mean, I think if you're doing a project where it's it's a requirement that you, you're doing a home for musicians, no. and they have a, a studio, which we've done, then 
there's a whole science behind it that you need to explore and be cognizant of. But on a day-to-day, you are concerned about acoustics. You want surfaces to, to be complementary. You don't want just all hard surfaces and things being echoing in a space. You want some comfort. You want some absorption of sound. And also you want to close off the outside world in a way to feel like you're sheltered in your home. At the same time, you know, nobody likes to live right next to the freeway and here. <laughs> Yeah. You know, the traffic. <laughs> so there's that's when kind of materiality and a little bit of how you can influence, you know. But we just are finishing a project for uh, a couple who, they're both scientists, but they're also, on their spare time, they're musicians. And they're amateur music- musicians. She is quite good, actually. And when we were designing the house, we had to think very, very hard about you know, the shape of the roof. We didn't want a, squ- a flat roof. So because wow. because of uh, how sound was going okay. to um, bounce off of the roof and you don't, you know, the surface is uh, around. And so she also is a harpist. Uh, and really? part of the influence was, the, yeah, the shape of the instruments are so beautiful yeah. and sensual, right, in a way. And so that was the inspiration, for example, for doing a sort of an inverted curved roof. Her right harp? Wood. Really? You, yeah. You it, looked at her harp and thought uh, inspired you? Well, it was it was kind oh of a, yeah. And, and it's not a <laughs> conscious thing. It's an unconscious uh, <laughs> thing that happens. But, but now they love it and they tell the story of how that came about. But it's fascinating what happens with inspiration and when you're working with a client, this particular client, when we came up with the sort of concept for the house and the shape of the roof, she lit up like I'd never seen, and she's not a very expressive person, but she lit <laughs> up and she said, I have to show you something, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait until I find it. And I'm going to show it to you. About a month later, she brought a piece of paper that she had found in her files, and it is a picture of the Expo building in the 1967 World Fair in Canada, and it was a building done by a Russian architect that had a curved roof exactly like that. And when she was little, she had thought, I love this building, and someday I want to have a house like this. So it's really interesting. Oh, I'm sitting up for that. That is amazing. Yeah, it was an amazing coincidence. So it touched it in a way, but it had nothing to do so much with my relationship to the heart, but somehow we tapped into sort of an energy. Unseen. Yeah, that allowed it to become something more, more than just four walls and a roof. So how is that with it? Speaking of the unseen is obviously architecture is very visual, but that unseenness, do you see it in your mind's eye when you go to a client's home or a project and see what they're looking for? Or do you see what it could be and you put them together? Yeah. And I, I would say the process is such, to me, in architecture and maybe any creative, and I think the process by which you get to that final form is it's fascinating, but you can never, if every time inspiration comes from different sources. So I would say that sometimes you tap into the energy and the essence of your client and that kind of starts driving, you read things. I'm, I'm a very emotional person. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of 
rely a lot on my gut instinct for a lot of the decisions, not just in architecture, but in my life. But, But there is, I think, a subconscious thread that happens when you start designing that invariably, after you go off and do many other iterations, you keep keep going back to that original idea. There's something primal and important. And I think that you could approach things very rationally. You can look at a program and figure out how big a house, what kind of things you told me you wanted for your house, and then I'm going to quantify it. I'm going to give it certain size for a certain square footage and how many floors. But that's not what makes architecture interesting, in my opinion. Residential architecture is interesting because... We're designing for our clients, and homes are such a personal thing. It's definitely where people feel most secure and most vulnerable, right? And so you want them to be in a place where they can open up and be themselves, they don't, it's not just for show, I guess for some people, you know, having a showy house is important, but for most people, it is where you always aspire to be and feel at ease and at home and be yourself and just be authentic. And that is the piece that we always try to tap into. How do we get to the essence of who this client is? And through our creative process, can we do a work of art or a piece of architecture that's special, that is inspiring, that has soul? And to me, if architecture has no soul and is is just a an exercise of of, uh, going through the motions and creating sort of a vessel or a dwelling, but without that element, then I I, I think we fail. If we can't move you and and if we can't create something, it's interesting. It's like alchemy. I keep going to the whole magic thing that happens. Alchemy. Yes, it is like alchemy. It's that you put little bit of this and a little bit of that and you stir it and you wait and then it bubbles up and you turn the temperature and you heat it up. And those ingredients is your clients, uh, personalities have a lot to do with it, is the site, is the geographic location where you are, it's even the, the light and the materials and how we choose to put them all together. And at the end of the day, there's many players. It's not just, I mean, I have a very talented team. And I think that collaboratively we do such great work because I might be tapping into my intuitive self and then somebody else comes in and takes the original doodle sketch and takes it further. And then we go back and it's iteration and it is collaboration. And then we have the client and the client then reacts or adds on to it. And I think that makes it very special when we can have a process by which everybody's engaged in it. And at the end of the day, everybody just had a little or or a lot of input into the final product. That's outstanding. I can't wait to, to return. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. 
Loaves and Fishes Family Kitchen fights hunger in our local communities by providing food security to those who need it most. It serves more than 400,000 meals annually from its San Jose location. You can help anytime in a number of ways by working in the kitchens preparing, serving, and cleaning up after meals, by contributing food or non-food items, or by making a cash donation. For more information, visit loavesfishes.org or call 408-998-1500. We're talking today with Anna Williamson, principal of the award-winning Anna Williamson Architecture Firm. For more information, feel free to visit www.awarchitect.com. That's www.awarchitect.com. Anna, you spoke of um, light and materials and how important they are. Share with us your... your interpretation, experience, and, and vision for those yes. that light and materials? I, I, well, light is number one. I think that architecture comes to life when, when it's exposed to light. So I think the spatial quality of a room, a building, a town square, you know, we all always marvel, like light in the early morning, light in the evening. There's a quality of the light that makes us feel a certain way. As architects, I think we manipulate the light to bring spaces to life. It's not just enough to put a window in the middle of the wall. <laughs> you have to balance the light. And where you choose to also bring in light to sort of enliven the space is is, is, is a very con conscientious and, and uh, intentional decision. So that's part of kind of the whole design thinking of it's just not enough to put a window of a certain dimension. You have to be thinking about the proportion of that window. What does it do to the room? Is it more towards the corner? Are you trying to capture a view? I and mean, you know, so forth and yeah. so on. Materials are very important because we are sentient beings. We love textures. And I think that it's it's a personal thing, obviously. All clients are different. I personally, I love organic, natural materials. I think yeah. that we all they, it resonate, res, resonates with most of us as yeah. a, a place of comfort, a place that we understand. It comes from nature. We we there's a familiarity there. Obviously, there's a ton of new, interesting, innovative materials in the marketplace that do the job well uh, for specific, particular purposes. But I would say that we as people on this planet would always be, I think, attracted to natural stone, even though there's tons of (laughs) composite and man-made and, you know, kitchen counters, for example, is one example where there's a lot of great materials out there. There's the quartz sites, the quartz and the scissor stones and because most people don't want the maintenance of having to deal with the marble and how it stains. I mean, for some clients, they love the patina, and that's just the way it is. Don't try to make it too perfect. For me, I think that I have a favorite uh, saying with uh, Japanese, it's a Japanese word, wabi-sabi, which is there's beauty in imperfection. And that applies to everything that I think is true about architecture there is no point in trying to make it perfect. It will never be perfect. But there is some, there's beauty in a little bit of the crack that comes through and the light comes through the crack, right? Yeah. There's that song and, you know, that, yeah. that's how the light gets in. But it's this trying to achieve perfection 
it's 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 a pursuit that that will never it's futile. Know, yeah, it's futile. It's futile. It's futile because perfection is is seeing the beauty in the imperfection. That to me is and so architecture I think has a lot of that. You you balance it and you you can derive a lot of pleasure just from seeing a composition that is not necessarily doesn't have to be symmetrical. I mean, the symmetry and the Beaux Arts and all yeah. that. There was that the strive for for perfection, right? And but I think that there's so much more to it, right? And how we react to the size and the feeling and the proportion of a space. Why do I feel great in here, in this particular area or of my house? Or you know, we all have favorite parts of our house or where we like to hang out. And why is that? I think another important consideration is we got to think of architecture the way we used to be as little kids. We love hideaway places, right? As when we're little, we love hiding underneath the stairs, creating our little forts, <laughs> and that never goes away. I think we I love all, that. It never goes away. It never right? goes away. We we all hear now about the man cave. Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's women cave now, uh, a place of her own. But yeah. we crave cozy spaces where feels more intimate and I think it comes from that kind of primal sort of shelter den, the primitive hut, the roof over your head and I think that there's something kind of fascinated also fascinating about the the, the, the secret the secret yeah. the secret door and so if, if we should never <laughs> lose that ability to be to marvel with the power of you know architecture to incite yeah. those feelings within us surprise mystery do you bring that to almost every project or it naturally unfolds we i try to bring a level of kind of playfulness and and mystery and and sort of serendipity and sort of surprise to most of our projects in the degree that we can yeah yeah i mean yes that's part of of, of making it kind of fun right yeah and unexpected and having that unexpected twist and you know i i get a when clients at the end of a project tell me that, you know, they never expected the house to look or feel this way, but they so love it and they're so happy they went through the process and they trusted it and that there was something new or that every day they're discovering something new. It's a pleasure. It's what what we do and we hope that they will keep discovering that over the years. I like that discovery. I have a belief that um, I don't consider myself creative. I consider definitely discovery. I value discovery more. I'm curious to your, your, uh, your response. Do you value discovery or creativity or both? There's no right or wrong answer. I'd love for mm. our, our listeners to hear what, what, uh, I, I definitely think that they go hand in hand. Okay. Right. So the creative process is not linear and you're constantly going on different turns, twists and turns. But the process of discovery, it is inherent in every project. You, you, you come at it from a kind of a broad sort of conceptual sort of overview of what you're going to do. But sometimes you, hone into a detail to then help you kind of bring back up the, you know, zoom out again to be able to see the whole picture. And so it's, it is, it is, as a project unfolds, it is a process of discovery. I tell people early on, I don't know what your house is going to look like. Oh, 
Do you really? Yes. Okay. And I don't come to it with a preconceived notion because then to me that already is kind of is constraining the design process. I like to let the design process unfold and it unfolds in many different ways. Now, if it's a remodel of a specific home that has a specific style, then you have a sort of an image and you're working with something that is a historic house. You have to work okay. within the, the realm of that. But even then, it's good to find that element of surprise because I think we all like a little bit of element of surprise. <laughs> yeah. Did, are, how were your clients? Are some of them a little afraid? Ever new clients ever a little afraid of that? Yes. Because you can, they, they, they're uh, in... Because they don't... They can't conceive it themselves and, 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 and they can't conceive it themselves. Yeah. And so... You have to begin by establishing trust within with your clients. We're going on this journey together. Trust me. It's going to be fabulous. I don't know what it looks like right <laughs> I now. That. I appreciate that you have come to me with all these inspiration images. That's very helpful to, for me to see what resonates, what's exciting to you. But you'll be surprised. People like many different things. And so they'll put together idea books. Now we have companies like house, Pinterest, used to be tear sheets from sure. the magazine. But now, you know, digitally, they come to you. Some clients are very sophisticated. They put together portfolios of their dream home. And then there's the clients who are still kind of like have been collecting images over the years. But the thing to understand there is that they're not necessarily saying, build me this house. There's a feeling. A feeling, And, and yeah. we were trying to sort of extend Extrapolate and read between the lines. What is the feeling of that house? What is the essence and the soul of the home? If we design and we build it, who will come? Who will you share it with? What is important to you? So all those questions, we have a question that we send. All those questions is what helps inform how we're going to move. Because, again, I think I like to tap into the emotional aspect of my clients. And... One of the hardest things as an architect really is when you're working with a couple, two people on a project, they they can tell you, oh, we're on the same page. They were, you know, you know, whatever he says or she says is and it's fine. But it turns out it's not so. We all have individual needs and wants and aspirations and goals that are not necessarily commonly shared. And so you you might have a consensus of the kind of house that you desire. But our role is to really listen well. And I love to play the role of, you know, you hear architects sometimes are like marriage counselors or, because yeah. you do have to have consensus. But then also being able to hold the line and say, this is what we said at the beginning we're after. This is how we're going to go forward. And you have to trust the process. I know that you want it to look this way. Or that your friend that you were talking to said that you should do this, put windows going up the staircase at an angle. But I'm here to tell you, no, that's yeah. not your house. And they respect that. I think clients really want a vision and that somebody who's the kind of the protect, you know, the protector of the vision and they don't trust themselves. So, and <laughs> yeah. they, you know, the other thing to remember is clients are doing this most clients are doing it for the first time and it's overwhelming. It's an overwhelming thought that I'm going to go into this journey that is going to take at least two years, if not more, of discovering what this 
home is going to be like and I have some ideas and but we don't know what decisions I have to be making when and how really ultimately how much it's going to cost and the permitting is all very scary and there's just so many people and we're here to say don't worry about it because this is what we do and we love what we do and we're going to help you and we're going to make it easy and more importantly we're going to make it fun and when they hear fun they go <laughs> fun oh my gosh I'm just like I don't know I just but it should be fun yeah. if it's not fun it's not worth going through it because it really is an amazing opportunity to design and build your own house and if it's not fun, then you're you're missing the point of discovery. Of of and 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 people tell me they discover things about themselves, not so much about building the house. Yes, they learn. And many successful projects, when we're done, there's a withdrawal, a feeling of oh my god, now what are we gonna do? <laughs> Enjoy the house. <laughs> this is the Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford ninety point one FM. Music has been used for healing since ancient times. Healing Muses provides high-quality live music featuring the harp as part of innovative healing programs to support patient care in Bay Area hospitals, hospices, and convalescent centers. The organization relies on generous support from public and private sources, including individuals. If you'd like to help, you can visit healingmuses.org or email information at healingmuses.org. We're talking today with Anna Williamson, Principal of Anna Williamson Architect, an award-winning firm. For more information, you can visit awarchitect.com. That's awarchitect.com. Anna, I like that trust the process. Is that experience? Is that intuitive? Share with us All that trust the, the process. All of the above. I think, well, I've been... I've had my own practice now for 24 years. And really, one of the things, I, when I started the firm, it was just really by necessity because when we moved to California, there was no work for architects. There was a slump in the economy. And I was very fortunate to have landed a couple of commissions in Colombia. So I was very excited about that, but petrified because... You go to architecture school, this rigorous schooling, and and you work long hours, and you you all of a sudden are an architect. You go through the registration, and you know the the, the whole process, and but nobody <laughs> has taught you how to run a practice. So that was a little bit daunting. However, the things I've learned over the years is that yes, there is a process. The process we. We are working, we have been working hard to try to make the process more transparent, more clear for, for clients, where we can give them information up front that they can actually comprehend without overwhelming them, breaking it down in little pieces. And I think that like any, <laughs> I keep going to any creative pursuit, the process is, the, the, there's going to be really exciting pieces to the process, where is namely the drawing, the unveiling of the concept, the colors, the three-dimensional models, the renderings. And that's very seductive and people can understand an image. But then there's pieces of the process that is just regulation, going through permits, asking, look, reading the code, <laughs> ordinance, and 
all sorts of things and talking to consultants and it, it, and it, it, it can be quite overwhelming. So we try to sort of protect the client from all the stuff that might make them feel like they don't understand because our clients are all very smart. I mean, we're in Silicon Valley and people want to know and they they are very engaged clients and the high level of intelligence, but they're also very busy and they don't do well with not knowing. <laughs> yes, right? very they, true. They don't do well yeah. with, uh, well, but, but it, help me understand. So why is this and why did they say that? And so... So trusting the process means that you can let go of some of the control <laughs> of not understanding sometimes this part of the creative process and, and that it is not linear, but that we've done it before and that we have experience going through permits in different jurisdictions and we've been doing it for a while and we have had all sorts of different projects and that we're going good at asking the questions and developing relationships with the, the different consultants that helps, and so the the best client is the one that kind of surrenders a little bit to the process and lets you do the parts that that we do well, and then they hold the end of the the the, the, the bargain, which is they have to provide feedback, they have to be clear with what is it that they want, they they have to communicate. Then, then they have to, you know, respect everybody's sort of degree of uh, expertise. That that is okay. That you don't have to question everything or know everything because you're hiring professionals, and yeah. that's that's the whole, and we are kind of the leaders of the whole group. All the information is funneled through us. All the consultants we deal with the contractor, and we kind of assemble that team that we feel is going to best serve the project. Yeah, I love that. So. Understanding the value, huh? it sounds like you have a process so that the client, especially if they're new, understands the process that they're going to go through. Is yeah. And so, how do you understand? They, they, you kind of quantify the value you've shared with us very well. Are there any other tangible ways that you can have them understand the value of what we do? Yes, and that's an excellent question. We've been grappling with. How does one quantify the value of what we do as architects? I think we do, as architects, we do a lot. We have to be generalists and then we have to be experts. And But the thing about the value is that we know what we're good at. We're, we know we love design and we have high standards of what we want to deliver. But it might not be obvious and apparent to a client who's looking at pretty pictures on the website or, I mean, because they've never gone through a process and they don't really understand what it takes to get there. So what we try to do is very early on establish that conversation about the value that we bring. We minimize your risk. So that's important to know because we're experts at what we do. We'll ask all the right questions. We're going to do our homework up front before we run off and start designing your fabulous project, we're going to understand the constraints. We're going to know about the budget. We're going to, and we're going to be responsible. And then we're going to put together a a list of, you know, call it a findings, due diligence, needs and option review concepts. That by the time that you move forward, we have done so much work together up front before we start getting into the sexy part of the project (laughs) where you're going to feel confident that this project is going to be within your budget, within your time frame, and that there's a very high chance that is going to be 
you know, within the parameters that you had set up for yourself. So many times I think I've encountered situations where clients have come to us and they just want to get going right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let's <sighs> not even look at the, okay, I, I got to do it. I got to do it fast. And I always tell them we, we, we got to, we, there is a process to be followed and then there's a right timing. You cannot shortchange the design process because you'll be paying in the end. You might fail to look at all the different options that you could have had for this project because you were in such a hurry to get it done by this date. That is short-sighted. So we try to bring value also by breaking it down and explaining to a client, you know, the value is also going to be in having the very best design for your program and that you're going to enjoy for years to come. So if it takes just an extra few weeks to a couple of months to do it right, it makes sense sure. to take the time to do it up front. Yeah, so you're man- it sounds like you're also managing not just their your clients' expectations, but you're also managing your clients' emotions. All the time. All the time. Yes. Not even once in a while. No, all the time. And it's it's sort of something that we don't come out and say it. We're managing your emotions, but we are holding <laughs> no, this space it, it's, oh. it becomes, it's such an emotional, it's emotionally charged process. We all come up, there's the beginning. I call it the honeymoon phase or the dating phase, let's call it. You're getting to know each other, right? <laughs> so the client and the architect and the site, and it's all about possibility. It's it's all sort of, you know, this process yeah, of discovery. Romantic. It's very romantic and yeah. you're excited. Oh, can't wait to see what you guys have come <laughs> up with. And there's this good feeling and, you know, and, it, you know, this, that excitement. It's yeah. a little bit of that, the unknown and what are we getting into? And this feels kind of, you know. And then once that initial phase kind of transitions into now we got to put our heads down and you, dear uh, client, you're going to stand by the silence while we do, you know, our design development or your construction drawings or the permitting or, and then we'll come back together and develop more materials. And yes, we'll get back to you soon, but it's that feeling. They, they want to attach themselves to that excitement, the feeling that they were getting at the beginning. And somewhere and along like the beginning, it kind of bit. flattens out a little yeah, bit and people wonder, where have you been? Or oh, we're working. <laughs> but they want to they wanna latch onto that emotional feeling. So it's really important along the way to keep them engaged at that level. So I, I've learned over the years that even though we have incredible technology, we have 3D BIM modeling yeah. software. We do, I have a team that is very, very experienced in producing 3D models and renderings of the house as, as we're developing the design. So, you know, that's one way that architectural design has changed over the years. Now the project delivery method is very different. We, we do a lot a lot up front where you start understanding the house and the volume very early on because technology allows us to. However, there's still room for the rendering. There's still room for the physical model. And I bring those along the way, even if we already have great cat drawings presented, then we'll unveil this physical model that was done and the client just melts that you can see. I mean... I, I do it even in... They melt? In, they melt. They look at it and they go, oh, that's my house. And it's, there's something about tactile and physical sure. that they can understand. 
Sometimes these 3D renderings is a little distorted. You're not in the space, but when you hold something, you can actually kind of understand it differently, right? It's, you turn it around, you look at it from the bottom, you look, you can take the roof off, you know, that sort of thing. So no, it's not just the clients, it's also the design review committees. They, they, they have requirements. This sort of drawings and this scale, bring this material board with the color. You bring them a little extra. It's like a, a model and they all pass it along. Like, Let me have it. Oh, that's so cute. And they understand it <laughs> so because cute. you're tapping into the emotion. And it's a very different conversation. But see, we underestimate because we live in a world that is kind of digital and precise. And I think that there's value in still kind of, I, I see it when we pin up drawings and I, I, I like using my yellow tracing yeah, pa- yeah. paper a lot because it draws you in. And when you pin it up, invariably the client is going to go to the yellow one and they said ah, but I like that one there is something that is bright and is fun and it's not just boring oh this is the modern architect KZSU 90.1 FM Stanford Scholarship America believes that every student, regardless of financial status, deserves an opportunity to go to college. Since its founding, Scholarship America has distributed more than $3 billion to 2 million students nationwide. It supports a number of leading programs, including Dollars for Scholars, Dreamkeepers, and Scholarship Management Services. You can help make a difference in the lives of students. Visit scholarshipamerica.org. We're talking today with Anna Williamson, principal of Anna Williamson Architect, an award-winning firm. For more information, feel free to visit awarchitect.com. That's awarchitect.com. Anna, with your experience, how do you see architecture in the next four or five years? You know, from now, what has changed over the last even five years? I think uh, we touched upon a little bit on how technology has provided us tools to be able to present ideas to clients for them to visualize spaces better because that's one of the biggest sort of, I think, hurdles for a lot of our clients is that if you're not visually savvy or have that ability to kind of conceptualize or visualize space, it's very difficult. You're looking at a two-dimensional plan and you kind of understand, okay, front door, go here, and I, oh, this big space and that's outside. But so we have at our, this, you know, the tools as um, we use Archicad as a 3D BIM modeling software. We are now experimenting. We, we have the ability to create there's an app that we tell our clients to download and then we share with them the physical model so that clients can actually play around and and have it in their iPads and be able to fly around and go inside the house, go up the stairs and, oh. and feel the space. So that has been kind of really helpful, I would say. Some of my colleagues are beginning to experiment with virtual reality and, and, and the, the goggles and actually taking the, the client through. Yeah, how's the experience with that? We haven't perfected it yet. I think we have to invest in better goggles because the ones that <laughs> okay, the, the cardboard true. ones, I mean, I think people get dizzy. And, <laughs> but I, I understand that there's very better technology. And yeah. that is something that we're definitely exploring to see if, if there's another 
way that we can provide some additional tools to be able to understand and visualize spaces. And I think it'll be helpful for us to, you know, in, in the office. But I, I would say that the way it has changed in the last four years, five years, has been this, adopting the 3D BIM modeling software. It's changed the way it's, people expect it, first of all. And uh, the way architects deliver projects and the way very early on we can coordinate the structural component, really understand, is this thing that I imagine in my head, is it going to work? No, the roof is coming through the middle of the wall. That doesn't make sense. And I see it in the younger generations. They are very adept at doing 3D modeling in school, different than the older programs. It doesn't necessarily teach you how do you be a great designer, but it is a great tool to explore it in a different way. You can explode your volume. You can start designing just volumetrically versus just into dimensions, yeah. right? So you're not just thinking floor plan elevation. You're just thinking abstractly, more sculptural, if you will. So I think it's fascinating because in this office, we have the old guard. Who, the old guard. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if Bobby's in yet, but I, he's my um, okay. senior architect who still draws by hand beautiful drawings. And then we have the youngsters out of school who barely draw by hand. And I shouldn't say it that way. Actually, everybody in this office draws by hand beautifully, and that's a differentiator. I make sure that when you come in for an interview, I like to see your portfolio, but not your digital portfolio. I want to see what you drew by hand. Oh. It's very important because it tells me that you have that affinity to be able to create and that there's a connection of the brain to the pen, to the, the paper that is that happens that is very different than when you're using a mouse. When you're using a mouse, you're far removed. You're not into there's there's a different sure. um, dynamic that happens. So I would say that the team at AWA, we all are in alignment with our values about what we care about architecture, how we feel about it, but we all love drawing. <laughs> and we see the value in, in, in fostering this ability to keep drawing. And and it's, it's, it's never going to change, at least for me, because I see how a, a client connects so well with a hand-drawn with a drawing that is yes. done by hand versus something that is done by a computer. Really? Oh, yeah. You do yeah. see that? Absolutely. There's a personal connection that happens. And I again, I don't know why that is, but there's an emotional reaction to a hand drawing and a hand sketch that you don't get. You can get fabulous representation sure. uh, renderings that are photorealistic. That's one thing. You can go, wow, it's for a sales brochure of an amazing... But that connection with your client to tapping into that kind of more intimate and I would say basic. Primal, you used yeah, the word before. Yeah, yeah, primal. It's the drawing. Yeah, the tactile feel. Yes. Yeah. What's your take? Uh, your take, I'm curious, on uh, this from uh, Marcel Pross. And he says, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. That's true. It's uh, changing the way we look at things. And it's, it's, to me, that's another great, that's a wonderful quote. And I, I, in agreement in, in, in that statement that we go through life sometimes kind of, we forget how to look at things. And again, going back to look at things with child's eyes, because there's that sense of wonder 
that we have when we're young. We haven't been bombarded and completely sort of brainwashed to think a certain way because of advertising or what people tell us is good taste or what you ought to buy or how you ought to dress. But there's certain things that we are attracted to and it's an, an ad, how do you say that, an adulterated, in other words, is fresh. And you, when, when you have fresh eyes, then you can see beauty in, in just about anything if you allow yourself to. So George Nelson also say is how, how to see. You, you kind of, you have to remind people that there's different ways to look in, of looking at things. And it's having an open mind and not being afraid. And, and because architecture can be a language that some people might feel a little intimidated, I don't know if that's good or bad. But I think if people really, really think about something when they're looking at something and say, do I like it and why do I like it? If they let themselves go and not, not be judgmental, they could begin to understand what something is pleasing and why. Why do we all love barns, old barns, right? There's something True. basic form and then there's the, the element, the, the honesty of the material that is a little weathered, that is in a field that is full. There's something sort of bucolic and beautiful about that. And why do we all react to the concrete, brutalist <laughs> building that feels imposing and a little scary? Yeah. You know, there is that emotional thing. But Looking at things with fresh eyes is important and we hope that we can actually instill and, and, and awaken that curiosity in clients to to shift the way that, you know, the preconceptions that people have about architecture. There's a lot of talk about style, but to me architecture is not about style, right? I mean, it's more about the feeling of the space in, 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 that you can create and both inside and out of, of, you know, the building, the home that you create. You can create intimacy, you can create excitement, grandeur, you can create quiet reflection, you can also, you can modulate a lot of emotion with architecture. And I think that, you know, modern architecture has, you know, taught us a lot over the years. It's also been, I think, badly chastised uh, or wrongly chastised because people assume that modern is just choice of materials. There is this notion that, you know, you should have, va you know, open spaces, vast gla amount of glazing for views and indoor-outdoor connection, tall scene as well. Many of the new modern homes that, that are popping up everywhere lack a sense of intimacy, of scale. And I think that as architects, we need to remind the general public that there is a need for working with a professional, really, yes. to create, you know, that it's not the same. The two pieces of architecture are not the same just because you kind of plop some materials on it, stucco, cedar siding, metal roof, you call it modern, it's not necessarily great, where did you, where was the miss? And I think, to be fair, many people don't really know what the difference is between an architect and a building designer or a design build firm or this person's really good at it. They, they have a computer program. They can design your house. And there's a, you know, there's a big difference. But hopefully, you know, more and more people will be exposed to the profession. I think some high schools might have a little drafting class that kids might 
find interesting or shop or something working with your hands where you connect with that necessity to to do something with your hands in the connection of the creative part of the brain and how you could maybe continue educating a client at a time. Excellent. Anna, it's been a true pleasure and an honor having you today. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's I hope been you fun. Cons- thank you. It's, I hope you consider coming back again real soon. Oh, I'd love to. Thank, thank you, you very much, Anna. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Anna Williamson, founder of AWA, an award-winning firm focused on design-driven projects, primarily in the residential market. At AWA, each project is client and site-specific with an emphasis on space, form, and natural light and is committed to sustainable practice where they strive to uh, create buildings that are beautiful, environmentally conservative, energy efficient, and materially non-toxic. For more information, feel free to visit www.awarchitect.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California and on location throughout San Francisco Bay Area and the state. And the show is a production of KZC Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Darlene Franklin, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Jaggi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu.
Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect.